I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. But before I jump in, I'm going to get David and Audrey to come up here, if you would. Okay? Um, many of you have met David and Audrey at this point, and David and Audrey got married last week. Praise the Lord. And uh, they've been holding out on joining the church and coming to join the church until they were married. They wanted to join as a married couple. So uh, last week, my boneheadedness did uh, did not allow for that to happen. And uh, I do not want to forget today. So, okay, they've forgiven me. That is good. Um, and so they are coming today um, to let you know that they would like to come and be members of Old Powhatan Baptist Church. And uh, I rejoice in that. We've had a chance to talk and talk through their whole past. We went through some premarital counseling even and that sort of thing. And we've had a chance to get to know them. And I, my prayer for you guys as you as you start your life together now is that um, every step would be honoring to him and that we get to be a part of that. And so we praise the Lord for that. And so if you're excited about that and I'm coming, um, both by letter, um, we you let that be known by saying amen. 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 All right. Very good. Good deal. At the end of the service, they're going to be at the back, so you have a chance to greet them and that sort of thing. Thanks, guys. All right. James chapter 5. So we continue in our series on the fruit of the Spirit and looking at this fruit. We now move to the fruit of patience. Oh, my. Um, love was fun. Joy was fun. Peace, great. All right. Now you're going to make us do something. Um, one of the things to be reminded of as we look at the fruit of the Spirit is we remind ourselves, first of all, that this fruit that is supposed to be produced in our lives, the Spirit is producing it. This is not something that we can simply produce in ourselves. We can't just will ourselves to be more loving or more joyful or even more patient. We need God's power and His strength. We need His Spirit to produce this in us. But with each of these fruits, there's also this reality. There's a, there's a command that comes along with them. We're commanded to love one another, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. But we're commanded also, as God produces that love in us, that we're to love one another. We're supposed to take action. We're supposed to be joyful people. Love, joy, right? And so the Spirit produces joy in us. We find Christ as our treasure. And what happens? We sing. We want to proclaim. We want to... Make sure that joy is known so we're commanded to rejoice. Peace. So we have peace because we know we have a sovereign God. We have peace because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what are we to do? We're supposed to be people of peace. We're supposed to be spreading that peace. We're supposed to be telling of that peace. Well, patience, while a gift of the Spirit, is also a command of God. So as the Spirit is producing patience in us, we're told to be patient. And then as we're patient, he produces patience in us. This is the way it works. As we are empowered by the Spirit to obey and we obey, he continues to produce and make us more and more patient. So today as I look at patience, I don't want to... There may be a need for us to talk about husbands being more patient with their wives and their kids, and and I'm sure that's the case. I'm not going to talk about that today. Uh, There may be a need for us to talk about mothers being more patient with their children. Maybe there's an even greater need to talk about mothers being more patient with themselves, um, because I find a lot of burnt-out mothers um, 
who aren't patient with themselves as the Lord is working on them. That, that may be the case. That's not what I'm going to talk about today. It may be that we need to just be patient with one another. I'll talk a little bit about that today. But what I really wanted to do was to set a, a framework, like an umbrella over this idea of patience that gives us a key that if we were to get this, then the rest of that patience issue would really be under control. If we were to get this one truth, this one focal point of patience, then the rest of these things, much like we just sang earlier, when we see Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. All of those little things that drive us crazy, that drive us to impatience, that drive us to complain, will be seen in the light of this one truth. That's the goal today. Okay? So as you're trekking with me, I want you to understand this main truth for today. The main truth is that the Spirit of God produces supernatural patience in the life of a believer who faithfully endures temporary trials. As we faithfully endure those temporary trials with a faith and a focus on the return of Jesus. When we have faith that Jesus is coming back and our focus is that Jesus is coming back, it's going to produce patience in us, no matter what the trials are. And so I want to ask you two questions as I begin. First of all, do you believe that Jesus is returning? Wow, they did a lot better. Those four people in second service did a lot better than any other people in first service. I asked that question in first service. They went, uh, do you believe Jesus is returning? Okay, if we believe Jesus is returning, here's the second question. Why don't we live like Jesus is returning? He's returning, right? So we need to live as if Jesus is returning. If we believe, if we have faith that Jesus is returning, then why is, it, why is the focus of our life on all this stuff that's going to be done away with when Jesus returns? Why are the things of this earth causing us so much grief when they're all going to be done away with or set straight when Jesus returns? Why is it that we're focusing on things that might last for 20 years or 100 years when instead we're people of a trillion years from now. Imagine three trillion years from now who we will be. Sons and daughters of the living God. Ruling and reigning with Jesus. And we're worried about today? We're worried about things that are going to pass away. And if we were to get it right that we could focus in faith on the returning of Jesus... Patience isn't really going to be that much of an issue. Patience is going to be produced in us. I think it's important that we define patience. And I want to narrow the focus on patience a little bit today. And Jerry Bridges gave a great definition of patience. I I try to use this because I think it's a great definition. This is what he said. Patience is the ability to suffer a long time under the mistreatment of others without growing resentful or bitter. Patience is the ability to suffer for a long time under the mistreatment of others without growing resentful or bitter. But the problem is, according to Thomas Watson, that there are no sins God's people are more subject to than unbelief and impatience, than a lack of faith and a lack of patience. Think about that for just a second. We tend to focus on a lot of other sins, don't we? But we're told to be patient. So if we're not patient, what's that called? Sin. Okay, we're told to believe when we don't. What's that called? Sin. Okay. 
we, t- we tend to focus on outward type sins, don't we? It's kind of like the guy who, you know, walked up to another guy and said, hey, you know, smoking that is a sin. And the guy who was smoking it, whatever he was smoking, looked at the guy who walked up to him and pointed at his gut and said, well, you know, that's a sin. It's really easy to identify those things in others, isn't it? I just wonder if we can identify the things that plague us most as believers. A lack of faith. A lack of patience. When we're commanded to look to Jesus and this will be produced in us. Thomas Wasson continues, he says, Most Christians are ready either to faint through unbelief or to fret through impatience. Have you equated that in your life with the worry and the and all of that in your life that you, all of that fear in your life that it's linked to impatience here's a here's a good way of looking at it every single complaint in your life every aspect of impatience of your life is not a complaint against the people in your life it's a complaint against almighty god because he's the one who's sovereign and in control so i wonder when you're complaining do you realize what you're saying about god This becomes essential for the life of the Christian. So the problem is this sin of impatience absolutely wrecks our lives and leads us to fear. So I want you to look at James 5 with me. Look at verse 7. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. We're going to spend a few moments looking through these verses. So if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. Verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. There are four marks in this passage of patient endurance. Four marks of the believer who is being patient. He is speaking to brothers. He says it over and over again in the passage. So he's speaking to believers. And what are the marks of this patience, this patient endurance in our lives? First of all, the first mark is a singular focus on the coming of Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. Look at what he says. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then in verse 8, he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Once again, do you believe Jesus is coming back? Yes. Be patient. That's what he would say. That's what James would tell us. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Be patient. Is he coming soon? Be patient. The fact that Jesus is returning should be enough for us to proclaim, How long, O Lord? Come quickly, Lord Jesus but also have great hope and patience until He returns. To expect things that only Jesus, when He returns, can set straight, to expect them to be set straight before He returns would be silly, right? Only Jesus can set straight our world. So to consider that we would expect our world to be set straight before Jesus comes back is just kind of dumb for lack of a better way of thinking about it. We believe Jesus can set it straight. 
No king, no constitution, no court can set straight what's going on in our world. Only Jesus can do that. So what do we do? First, we pray, right? Act, yes. Vote, yes. But you better be praying. And the first prayer we should pray is, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because he can set it straight. When we become people who singularly focus on the fact that Jesus is returning, guess what falls under that? Well, we're told that before Jesus returns, the gospel is going to be spread to the nations. We're going to be people who spread the gospel to the nations. When we believe Jesus is returning, we focus on Jesus returning. We're going to be pursuing godliness and holiness, aren't we? Because we want to be prepared for the day when we stand before him and see him face to face. We're going to want to know him. We're going to want to follow him. We're going to want to obey him. We're not going to want to be ashamed at his coming. So when we become people who are singularly focused on Jesus returning, we will be the people who say, how long, O Lord? But we will also say, I hope in the coming king. What's your hope placed in? How important is this notion of the coming of Christ? Did you know that one out of every 13 verses in the New Testament is about the return of Jesus? You think it's important? And how much do we focus on it? I wonder, are we people who say, I have a returning king? Literally, one out of every 13 verses from Matthew to Revelation have to deal with the coming of Christ. Should we be people who only look backwards? We need to be looking to the coming king and knowing that he's going to set it all straight. That's over 300 times being mentioned in the New Testament. So what James is saying here is he's saying that we as believers in Christ who are patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord, who are patient, who establish our hearts because the coming of the Lord is at hand, we're supposed to be cultivating this mindset that looks to the long-haul play, not the short-term. We're always looking for the eternal issue, not the short-term. So what kind of illustration does he use here? Look back at the passage. He uses an illustration of a farmer. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. What's the precious fruit for us? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ that then we are part of that resurrection and we get new bodies and we are resurrected with him. There's a precious fruit that we're waiting for when Jesus returns. And that's to be known or to to know as we are known, to be like him, to be resurrected, to be with him for eternity. There's a reality of the coming of Jesus that is like precious fruit to us. So what does the farmer have to do? The farmer has to be patient about it. He has to wait for two rains, the early and the later rains. He has to wait for the early rains to prepare the ground to be able to be tilled so that the seed can be sown, so that the crops can even take root. And then he has to wait for the later rains to come along to actually grow the crops. He has to be patient. He can't force that process, can he? No, no one can force that process. In, in James's day, no one could force that process to happen. In our day, no one can force this to happen. We can do everything we want to with genetically modified everything. And the fact of the matter is, God brings the increase, period. He causes things to grow, period. We have to wait on Him. 
So I ask you, are, are we being patient? Are we patiently waiting for the Lord? Or are we the ones who feel like, well, if I just did this, everything would be a little bit better? Now, I'm not saying don't be active. We should be working for justice. We should be working for mercy. But we should be praying for his return and longing for his return. James's point is that the whole of life is meant to be lived in the light of the Lord's return. That we the ones who have a risen king. But we also are the ones who have a returning king. Are you longing for that day? Are you looking for that day? How do we do that when everything around us is so up in turmoil? I think Paul in Philippians gives us a clue. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven. So, so what's your identity? Is your identity wrapped up in this world? Are you the people that struggle with what we sang? The things of earth will grow strangely dim. Or are they so big right in front of you that they're clouding being able to look at Jesus? You see, they're not really any bigger than we make them to be. It's when we see Jesus in his fullness that they begin to grow dim. It's not that they go away. It's that they begin to grow dim because of his glory. Because of the light of his face. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The same power that says Jesus is Lord of all is the power that will raise us to new bodies and new life for eternity. Look to the return of Jesus. And when we know what the reward is, patience is going to be easy with the th- for the things that are going to be passing away. Are you with me? When we know how great the reward is, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. So the first mark of patience is a singular focus on the coming of Christ. The second mark of patience is a loving edification of the people of God. We build up the people of God. Look at verses 9 and 10. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Let me just give you a little clue. This happens twice in this passage. If judgment and condemnation come up and he says, here's a way to keep from being judged and condemned, you might want to take note. Okay? You might want to underline that. You might want to say, make sure that's a part of my life. Okay? So if he says, do not grumble, lest you be judged, you may want to not grumble. Okay? The opposite of patience is what? Complaining. Grumbling. How come it can't be the way I want it right now? Right? How come those people won't treat me the way I think I deserve to be treated? It's that grumbling and that complaining. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He says, a loving edification of the people of God is essential, an essential mark of patience. And as our example, we have the prophets. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets who were persecuted, the prophets who were thrown in prison, the prophets who were thrown into lion's dens. But when they spoke, they spoke what would build up and edify the people of God. They didn't speak anger. They didn't speak out of defending themselves. They spoke the truth which would build up the people of God. 
In fact, you go on to verse 11 and we're told that we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Think of Daniel, right? We wouldn't even know who Daniel is had he not been thrown in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had they not walked through the fiery furnace, would you know who they were? It's in their suffering, we now look and we say, yes, be like that. That's what patience, that's what enduring looks like. We can look at Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who is suffering tremendously and yet speaking a compassionate, yet judging word from God on the people of God to build up, to call them back to holiness and godliness. Will we do that no matter what comes? We look at the people in the Bible and we say, look how blessed they are to stand with the Lord. And we look at ourselves and we go, will I even speak when given the opportunity? A loving edification of the people of God is essential. So we're not to be people who grumble against each other, about each other. But even when we are wronged, we're supposed to speak the truth and love to one another. To encourage one another. To lift one another up. That starts with not thinking too highly of yourselves. Colossians 3 tells us to put on then. This becomes an identity. becomes a cloak for us to wear as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. And patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another or a grumble, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. William Gurnall said, Christ bears with the saints' imperfections, and may the saints do the same one with another. If we want to demonstrate patience, it's not going to be through grumbling, going through the duty. It's going to be through forgiving. It's going to be through bearing with one another. It's going to be through speaking truth and love to one another. Ephesians 4 tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. To walk according to the gospel. To show we are gospel people. And how do we do that? With all humility and gentleness, with patience. Bearing with one another. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If we want to be people of patience, it's going to look like bearing with one another and lifting one another up. Third, a third mark of what it is to have patient endurance is a faith in the gracious purpose of Christ. And I'll just hit this very quickly because we talk about this quite a bit. One of people's favorite verses in Scripture is Romans 8, 16 through 18. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs. That's our promise. That's our hope. That's our inheritance. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with Him. Oh, we don't like that part. Right? We're heirs with Christ, and then he starts talking about suffers. How do we know we're heirs with Christ? We suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Oh, I wish he hadn't thrown that in there. But then he comes back and he says, all of the suffering that we go through right now is to prepare us for the great glory that's to come. And the suffering does not even compare. I believe patience looks like this. Believing in the gracious purpose of Christ in the middle of that suffering, in the middle of those trials. Patience says, I believe God's going to produce something in me through this. He's producing godliness in me. He's producing holiness in me. He's producing steadfastness in me. Go back to James chapter 1. All of these trials are to produce faith and, and steadfastness, which literally leads us into holiness and godliness. That's the goal of God to take us through these. The example given in the passage here is Job. 
who is brought through all of these trials to a godliness and a holiness and a new faith and a stronger faith. He was the most righteous man on the planet and trials brought into a greater faith. I don't think anybody in this room is claiming to be the most righteous person on the planet. So do you think trials might bring you to a greater faith and a greater holiness? Could be. And is that the compassionate, gracious purpose of Christ in us? Yes, that's exactly what he's doing to produce Christ-likeness in us. Stephen Charnock said that patience is a a submission to God's sovereignty. To endure a trial simply because we cannot avoid it or resist it is not Christian patience, but to humbly submit because it is the will of God for us to go through that trial. To be silent and not complain because we believe in the sovereignty of God. That's truly godly patience. That when we're in the midst of the trial, we don't lash out in complaining and grumbling, but we trust the sovereign, gracious purpose of Christ. And finally, and maybe most importantly, in fact, I would say definitely most importantly, mainly because verse 12 says it's most important. Look at verse 12. But above all, once again, if he says this is most important, you may want to pay attention. Okay? But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Once again, if he says condemnation, there's possible condemnation here. You may want to pay attention, right? So this is something we want to make sure we get right. When we read this passage, most of the time we might think things like, oh, is he talking about not swearing? Okay, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. How does this tie into patience? How does this tie into living out a patient, enduring life by the power of God? Well, I don't think it's about what words you use in the sense of you can and can't say certain things. I believe what he's saying very simply is this. A simple yes and a simple no is enough. A simple obedience and a simple denial of the world is enough. It doesn't take grand speeches to be patiently enduring and following after Jesus. And we are really good at grand speeches, aren't we? I do it for a living. Right? We're really good at saying, God, if only you would do this, then I'll do this. Until two weeks from now, when I find something better to do. Spending time in Muslim countries, one thing they say at the end of everything, if you say, hey, let's get together tomorrow for coffee or for tea, this is what they say, inshallah. And it sounds really cool, like it says, it means God willing, if Allah wills it. And that sounds really great. And the Bible even commands us that we should be people who would say, Lord willing. That I'm not going to say I'm going to go here, there, and everywhere. I should say, Lord willing. If the Lord wills it, I'll make it. The only problem in their culture, it sounds really cool and really godly and really honoring to Allah, but you know what they really mean? Unless I find something better to do. That's what they mean. And isn't that most of the time what we end up doing when we make these grand promises to God? Here you go. God, I'll do this. I'll do this. I know that this is what you want me to do. I'll do it until I find something that I enjoy more. Until something better comes along. Until I read the next book that tells me something different to do. 
Here's what I want you to know. Following after Jesus in patient endurance is an ordinary, resolute commitment to Christ. It's not grand. I'll put it another way. God has not called you to be great. He's great. He's called you to believe He's great. He works through our weaknesses, not our strengths. He has not called you to be perfect. He's making you perfect. He's not called you to be strong. He is strong. He has not called you to make some grand statement about what you're going to do for Jesus. He's said, I've done everything for you. We've made the Christian life about what we can do for Jesus. And Christianity is all about what Jesus has done for us. You see, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear. Don't make some grand speech. We need everyday follow through, folks. What we need here in this church and for the gospel to spread is simple. We need no longer to make grand verbal promises to one another or to God, but we need quiet talk. We need follow through, as Ligon Duncan put it. We need to just be the people who say, I'm going to obey. That's it. See, we're always looking for the next great thing to do, aren't we? If we could just come up with the next program, if we could just come up with the next thing. But we're no good at loving our enemies. We're no good at praying all the time. We're no good at all the things he's already called us to do. The simple stuff. What does it look like to have this type of resolute everyday follow through? He gives us all kinds of things after this verse that tell us what it looks like every day. And it's nothing grand. It's just making much of Jesus. It's showing Jesus to be big. It's like D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there's nothing which so certifies the genuineness of a man's faith as his patience. And his patient endurance, his keeping on steadily in spite of everything. And so what does James call us to? He calls us to these things. I just want to fly through them real quick. What is everyday patience going to look like? Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Trial, right? What does he say? Pray. (laughs) That's what he says. This is what it looks like to have everyday resolute patience. Is anyone among you suffering? Does he say, look for a way out? What does he say? Pray. We're looking for some grand thing, and James is saying you should pray more. That's what he tells us. Then he goes on, he goes, Is anyone cheerful? Is everything going well for you? Praise. Well, that's what we do every Sunday, isn't it? You know what he's trying to tell us? It's not just supposed to be on Sundays. If you're sharing your prayer requests here, we love the fact that you're sharing your prayer requests here, but if you're not bringing those requests before the Lord for one another every day, we're kind of missing the point, aren't we? If singing praises only happens on Sunday morning and not in the car on your drive to work, we're kind of missing the point, aren't we? He goes on, he says, pray, praise, verse 14. He says, is anyone among you sick? Then call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Trust the name of the Lord. Faith. He says, forgiveness is right at the heart of this. We, we understand that we've committed sins. 
If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins. Confession is supposed to be a part of this. When was the last time you looked at a brother or sister in Christ and said, I just need to tell you what I'm struggling with as far as sin in my life? Anybody done that recently? Guess what's not going to happen in this church? We're not going to be patient. We're not going to be kind. We're not going to be loving we're not, until we're willing to bring all of our deeds of darkness out into the light. That's what this means. Confessing our sins, confessing our shortcomings, not putting on airs, not thinking too, so highly of ourselves, not thinking or wanting people to think that we're above it, <laughs> that it doesn't touch us, that these struggles aren't ours. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Oh, that we would be a church that would say we're no longer in the darkness. But God has brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And we would be the people who would lay all of these things before the Lord. And then finally he says this in verse 19 and 20. Compassionately call others out of sin. Our brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's a huge promise. Isn't it? If you are seeking out those who are lost, especially brothers and sisters in Christ who call themselves Christians who are out living in the world and you bring them back to Jesus, he says you're ensuring something about yourself. <laughs> Can you do that? Can you save your soul from death and cover the multitude of sins? Who can do that? Jesus can do that. What is he saying? Don't do great things. I've done great things. Trust my great things. Trust my great things. Your greatness is coming. Wait patiently for the day of the Lord, and your greatness will arrive. Oh, that we would be people who would be patient. Sinclair Ferguson said, Appearances can be deceptive. The fact that we cannot see what God is doing does not mean that he is doing nothing. The Lord has his own timetable. It is we who must learn to adjust to it, not vice versa. When God's time comes, nothing will stand in his way. We can therefore wait for him with this happy confidence. As for God, his way is perfect. Amen? And we can trust him. So I call on you to trust him today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would trust Jesus who is returning. And we would demonstrate that faith in ordinary, everyday ways. Not with grand designs, but with great faith and a great God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's out the service today. What we want to do is we didn't take time to remember Christ's death until he returns. One half of the Lord's Supper is remembering his death, right? The other half of this is the fact that our resurrected king is our returning king, that he's returning. So it's not just about the resurrection. It's also about the return. And so as the people of God, we want to celebrate the returning king. So let's do that now.